first you told us only through you could we know God and if we dared to question he wouldn't spare the rod for you we worked the soil for you we dug the moors for you we shed our blood and fought so many pointless wars now you try to tell us there's nothing we can do you say the world around us belongs fairly to the few but about six billion people no doubt will agree this world is our home not your property it's the commons our right of birth and you who would enclose the land all around the earth our future is your downfall when we cut this ball and chain you who'd sacrifice the public good for your private gain with our sweat we built the railroads built cities on these shores but because you own the money you see that it's all yours we laid the phone lines and the pipelines and then right before our eyes you see these things are taxes paid for you now will privatize privatize the hospitals privatize the schools privatize the prisons for all those who break your rules and preparing for the day when all the wells run dry you say you own the very rain that falls down from the sky but it's the commons our right of birth and you who'd own the water all around the earth our future is your downfall only cut this ball and shame you who'd sacrifice the public good for your private gain you claim to own the harvest with your terminator seeds you claim to own the genomes of every animal that breeds you claim to own our culture and the music that we play and with each song that we download to your coffers we must pay you'd even own my name and you'd say it's for the best maybe you'll let us on your radio if our songs can pass your test you own country you own western you say you've given us a choice you may own the airwaves, but you'll never own my voice. It's the commons, our right of birth. And you who'd own the music all around the earth. Our future is your downfall when you cut this ball and chain. You who'd sacrifice the public good for your private gain. It's the commons, our right of birth. And you who would own everything all around the earth. Future is your downfall. Only cut this ball and shame. You who sacrifice the public good for your private gain. Good evening. The opinions expressed on corporations and democracy are those of our guests and of the hosts, and not necessarily of the management of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. Good evening, and welcome to Corporations and Democracy for September 15th, 2022. This program examines how corporations dominate our democracy and what citizens are doing to replace corporate dominance with truer democracy. I'm Steve Scalmanini with co-host Annie Esposito. Today's program was initiated by a report that caught our attention in, uh, in July a few months ago when it was freshly published. Its title is Gilded Giving. How Wealth Inequality Distorts Philanthropy and Imperils Democracy. This report describes the extent of the capture of our charitable sector by the wealthy, the risks that this poses, and how it has been exacerbated by the pandemic and uh, other external factors. As inequality has grown in the United States, our nation's charitable system is in danger of becoming a taxpayer-subsidized platform of private power for the ultra-wealthy. And this poses risks to the independent nonprofit sector and our society as a whole. 
Our guests today are the two authors of the report, Chuck Collins and Helen Flannery from the Institute for Policy Studies in Washington, D.C. Chuck Collins is an author and senior scholar at the Institute, where he directs the Charity Reform Initiative and co-edits the website inequality.org. His most recent book is The Wealth Hoarders, How Billionaires Pay Millions to Hide Trillions. And back in 2016, he published a popular book, Born on Third Base, The One Percenter Makes a Case for Tackling Inequality, Bringing Wealth Home, and Committing to the Common Good. Helen Flannery is an Associate Fellow at the Institute for Policy Studies in the Program on Inequality and the Common Good, where she directs research for the program's Charity Reform Initiative. Her research focuses on the relationship between philanthropy and inequality, including the policies and practices surrounding charitable mega-giving, private foundations, and donor-advised funds. So let's have a look at how billionaire philanthropy distorts public policy. Chuck Collins, welcome to Corporations and Democracy. Hi, Annie. Hi, Steve. Great to be with you. And Helen Flannery, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Glad to be with you. And I'd like to... Uh, sort of set the stage uh, with a few facts from this uh, from this report gilded giving and uh, and then uh, and then I will start with the first question but this uh, this report from a few months ago paints a, a pretty grim picture of how skewed philanthropy has become in our country fewer than half of all US households now give to charity that was two-thirds just 20 years ago and the proportion of taxpayers who itemized their charitable giving fell from 25% to just 10% in the last, I guess it's been about four years since the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017 was enacted. That actually discourages charitable giving, and it took effect in 2018. So philanthropy is becoming increasingly top-heavy. In recent years, charities are receiving shrinking amounts of revenue from donors at lower and middle income levels, and they are more reliant on large donations from smaller numbers of wealthy donors. And then mega donors are influencing public policy while delaying payment of the taxes needed to support a healthy society. So let's begin, Annie. Yeah, maybe we should start out with well, what does a healthy giving society actually look like? What would that look like, Helen, if we actually had such a thing? Sure. it's That's actually a really nice thing to think about. What would the charitable sector look like if it was healthy? Uh, I would say it would look like a sector where charities have a broad, diverse, stable base of support from donors at all kinds of income levels, where charities are supported by their donors, but they're not controlled by their donors, and where charitable money is going directly to solve public needs. So that's what I would think a healthy sector would look like. Yeah, broad-based. And, and there's some really interesting comments you have in the study about how different uh, what a wealthy person wants to donate for than, than an ordinary middle-class American. They, I guess the wealthier people are thinking more in terms of their legacies and things like that. Exactly. 
the the thing one of the risks of this top heavy philanthropy one of the risks is that wealthy people do give differently than everyone else does and by and large they tend to give they don't give to working charities as much they tend to give to charitable intermediaries so they give to things like private foundations they give to donor advised funds and that carries big risks not only for charities but also for our society as a whole because it reduces the amount of money that's actually going to charity yeah, this seems to be the two big villains in your report here are what you just mentioned, the donor advice funds and private foundations. Um, do you want to tell us what a donor advice fund actually is? Sure. The donor advice fund is a really good question because beyond a narrow set of pretty wealthy donors, most people don't know what a donor advice fund is or how it works. But a donor advised fund is, it's often described as a charitable bank account. So it's like a bank account. You donate to the donor advised fund, to the account. You get a tax deduction for that donation. Then the money is held by a sponsoring organization, which manages that money. But you as the donor get to retain advisory privileges, which means you get to recommend whatever grants you want to whatever charities you want on whatever schedule you want from that fund. Now, there's a couple problems, there's several problems with donor advice funds, but two of the biggest are there's no deadline. So there's no requirement whatsoever that that money has to be granted out from the account at all. So you could just let it sit there earning income. The other problem is they're completely opaque. So we don't have any way of knowing whether the money is going out to working charities or if it's going out at all. You can get a tax write-off for just parking your money in one of these things. Absolutely. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. How new is that? They actually started in the, in the 60s. They actually oh, okay. started in the 60s, but they didn't really get going until the 90s when big commercial banks like Fidelity Charitable and Charles Schwab and Vanguard started to get on, on, on the action. So before then, it was mainly community foundations and large nonprofits that served as the sponsors for these. But in the 90s, big investment banks started to form their own charitable wings that sponsored donor-advised fund accounts, and then it just took off like a rocket. And so the tax benefits occur at one point in time, and then the benefit to society, who knows if and when it happens. It could be never. And it could be never. It could, could stay parked there indefinitely until the, these people are gone from the planet. And Exactly. Incredible. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's amazing. I know you have a number of graphs in your study, too, which are helpful. And uh, of the top seven charities, six are these donor advice funds thingies. Do um, you want to talk a little bit about some of those big guys? Sure. Uh, Fidelity Charitable is uh, actually um, the world's largest charity now. So... It surpassed the United Way in 2016, and it never looked back. It's been the number one charity in America, receiving the most donations. 
ever since then. And other commercial donor advised funds have rapidly tried to catch up. So things like the Charles Schwab, um, Schwab Charitable, Vanguard Charitable, those have rapidly started accumulating donations and are starting to catch up to Fidelity now. Okay, and then Fidelity again is opaque. The public doesn't know where the money goes or if it goes. And the other right. one you mentioned was was it United Way? What was the other one you mentioned? Well, that- United Way used to be the the world's largest charity, okay. and that is actually a working charity, but it got supplanted by Fidelity Charitable um, six years ago uh-huh. as the world's largest charity, and it's steadily been dropping okay. in the rankings ever since. But United Way is traceable. Anybody can look yes. up where the money goes, and we know what they're doing, and the public knows, and you know, society absolutely knows. Yeah, this is all really amazing. Um, I, I just can't believe that we're donating to stuff like this, that, that donating to these these people that just are already wealthy and getting wealthier. Um, and not only is this a, a, a problem right now the way it is, it's a dynamic. It's it's getting worse and worse and worse. Yes, absolutely. These uh, it's it's been the fastest growing charitable sector in the last twenty years. Donor advised funds have, and they've actually quadrupled in the last ten years. So right now they have altogether one hundred and sixty billion dollars in assets altogether, and they receive forty eight billion dollars in contributions a year, which, for some perspective is about it's 15 percent of total individual giving in the country so of all the charitable dollars that people give in the country 15 percent of it is going into donor advised funds and for a little perspective on that things like environment animal welfare international relief they're all in the single digits so donor advised funds are getting a huge chunk of the charitable pie yeah, another uh, fun fact in here is uh, some of these tax deductions, um, they're based on sale, actual sale, based on assessed value rather than what they would actually sell for in the in the store. Yes, this is a huge issue actually for donor advised funds because what happens is that a donor, if, you, if you're a donor who has a highly appreciated asset like you might have a piece of real estate or you might have a piece of artwork like you have a picasso in your closet that has rapidly accumulated value you can donate that to the donor advised fund and the thing is that you can when you donate it to the fund you get to take a tax deduction for whatever the assessed value of that piece of property is so you could say my picasso was worth $4 $4 million and take a tax deduction based on that assessed value. Then when the charity tries to sell it, if they might not sell it for that much, it could be sold for a lot less. So there's a lot of potential for fuzziness in these, in these sorts of donations. Hmm. Embellishment. If I could just mention, I think uh, Helen is describing this perfectly. Um, the reason why we should, kind of be incensed about this is these are our tax dollars at work i mean uh when people talk about philanthropy they think oh this is a this is somebody's private money there they should be able to do what they want but we the taxpayer subsidize this you know the the, the donation goes to the private foundation and the donor advised fund 
the donor takes the tax break the year they make that donation. But then that money can be warehoused, sitting for your... And here's the thing, for every dollar that a billionaire gives to charity, 74 cents of that dollar is lost tax revenue. We, the taxpayers, are chipping in 74 cents. Uh, and the, so the richer you are, the bigger the subsidy. Um, and that's why we have a legitimate public interest. That's why we should be talking about this and be talking about how do we fix it, because uh, it's a huge tax break for the wealthiest people in our society. Yeah, that's, uh, we're being just really knocked around every which way. Helen, did you have something to add to that? Are you, you're nodding. You're just, um, I, I agree 100% with what Chuck was saying. And it's, it's sort of like we give the tax deduction. It's like, a, it's like a contract. We, the people, have granted these tax deductions. And in return, that money is supposed to be going to charities that are funding projects that go towards helping the social good. So it's if a person is giving a charitable donation and that money is not actually coming out to charities working for the social good, it's like they've broken the, the contract with the American taxpayer. Some of the changes that you're advocating, I think our listeners will be able to see right away when we talk about what the problems are that, that we've touched on so far. Uh, one, that there should be a time limit on how long they can sit on this money and warehouse it. Um, and the, and the, they should go by the actual sale value rather than an assessed value. And that no fund should be held in perpetuity. Um, that's All that's got to stop. And, and another thing I know that you've been talking about is um, distinguishing between charitable actors and then things that are actually for-profit interests, not really charities. Do you want to talk about that last one a little bit? Are, are there some uh, for-profit interests that are masquerading as charities, would you say? Well, there's, um, I would say there's uh, there are certain things that people do. Like there are certain, um, especially wealthy tech entrepreneurs, like to uh, do their charitable giving through LLCs instead of through charitable foundations or even through donor advice funds. So like uh, Jeff Bezos does this, Mark Zuckerberg does this, where they, they Jeff Bezos got uh, a lot of attention a couple of years ago because he said he was setting aside $10 billion to help fix the environment. And he has indeed given a billion dollars of it directly to environmental causes, but the rest of it went into his a limited liability corporation, an LLC. So he is using that to do his charitable giving. And what that means is he doesn't actually have to give that money to charity. He could give it to charity. He could use it to invest in for-profit businesses that he feels are environmentally responsible. He could take it back. So it's a, it's becoming increasingly popular for um people in the tech industry to do their charitable giving that way but he wrote off the 10 billion when he when he set it aside well that's the thing no if he puts it in a, in a limited liability corporation he doesn't get to write off the okay. 10 billion that's the catch but the advantage he does get is it is even more opaque than giving to 
charity in other ways. So if you have it in a limited liability corporation, mm -hmm. you don't have to tell anyone what you're doing with it or yeah, report on it. Yeah. Yeah. What about that other rich guy, Elon Musk? Does he like those donor advised funds? <laughs> he loves the donor advised funds. He he actually gives to donor advised funds in two different ways. So one way is directly. So last year he actually gave five point seven billion dollars to a donor advised fund, which at the time I think still is the largest gift to a donor advised fund and ever. Um, so he gives directly that way, but he also gives through his foundation. He gives tens of millions of dollars to his foundation, the Musk Foundation. And the Musk Foundation gives, on average, 80-85% of its grants to donor-advised funds. So they've given tens of millions of dollars to donor-advised funds at Fidelity and at Vanguard Charitable. So in essence, all of his giving is sort of all funneling towards donor advice funds. He gives a tiny, tiny portion directly to charity, but it tends to be causes that benefit him and his family directly. So like he gives to his children's school and he gives to um, a charity his brother started. But in general, the bulk of his giving is either going directly to donor advice funds or going to foundations. And as Chuck pointed out earlier, the key thing to remember about this is that he gets huge tax deductions for doing this. The $5.7 billion that he gave last year was coincidentally exactly 30% of his adjusted gross income, which is the maximum you're allowed to deduct for a, tax, a, a gift of stock. How about that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you mentioned uh, a lot about the um, donor advice uh, funds, and then you uh, mentioned just now about private foundations as well. Uh, that's another loophole paradise, right? What do you, what's involved in having your own private foundation? Yes, absolutely. Um, private foundations are very interesting because you can. There's there are several ways that they can be used to someone's advantage. There's, first of all, private foundations, unlike donor advised funds, they have uh, actual requirement. They're, they are required to give out 5% of their asset base in grants to charity every year. So that's one thing there, that, that's different. Um, but there are a couple things that can count towards that payout that aren't strictly charitable donations. So gifts to donor advised funds can count towards that payout, even though they're not actually grants to working charities. And you can also count any trustee compensation towards that 5%. So you, if you sit on the board of your own foundation and you pay yourself a salary for doing that, you can count that as part of your charitable distributions for the year. So that's great. And then another thing you can also do with your private foundation is you can um, take loans out from it for yourself and use it for whatever you want and then pay it back. Basically, you can define your own terms of when you have to pay it back. So there's a number of ways that you can use foundations to your advantage. The other thing, the, the sort of the more um, to t sort of take a step back, there's 
when we write about the risks to society from from this type of giving, from giving to foundations or giving to donor advice funds, it carries a lot of risks for society because there's two kinds of risks it poses. One is about money, which is what we've been talking about, where um, wealthy people are able to get huge tax deductions, even pay themselves salaries, get loans from their charitable institutions. The other part is about power. And when you... the the thing of it is, is that when wealthy donors usurp the power to fix society's problems through philanthropy, whether through foundations or through donor advice funds or even sometimes through direct giving, it means you're taking away the public's power to fix their own problems. It means the wealthy donors get to decide which problems get prioritized which ones get funded, and it means they even get to decide what the range of possible solutions to the problems is. So it we lose our public say over how we address our, our problems, the big problems facing us. And as Chuck was talking about before, this is all taxpayer subsidized. This is all our money subsidizing this industry and yet we're letting it be usurped by a group of wealthy donors who are basically using it to fix the problems that they, they want to. So they're making the public policy for the ordinary Americans who have a completely different experience. Exactly. Or, or they might not, depending on where they're, they're spending their money, and that's, that's opaque to the public. So. Exactly. Yeah. And they often can use their foundations de very deliberately to set the public agenda. Mm -hmm. So they can, they can set, um, they can use their foundations to fund public policy that advances their own personal agendas. Mm -hmm. So if they own an oil company, for example, they can fund think tanks that will push climate change denial. Mm hmm and push for public policy that is more favorable to extractive industries and that serves their own personal interests. So that's a, another way they can use those foundations to serve their personal agendas. Let me mention to listeners that uh, this is Corporations and Democracy program and uh, tonight we're discussing how billionaire philanthropy distorts public policy. And our guests are Chuck Collins and Helen Flannery of the program on inequality and the common good at the institute for policy studies and they're the co-authors of a report published in july called gilded giving how wealth inequality distorts philanthropy and imperils democracy so we have these uh, big rich people that are doing these mega donuts to these uh, very specialized funds that work for them very well. Uh, what about our ordinary working charities that some still exist? Uh, I assume they're becoming more and more dependent on these big guys. Yes, they. Uh, this is this is almost the saddest part of the story to me, actually, because. Mega donor giving carries a lot of risks for charities themselves. And every year, uh, there's a lot of, of press and fanfare about how charitable giving is soaring, is reaching new levels all the time. And yet, 
the key thing to ask about that is who's giving that money and where is that money going? Because like we said, the giving to donor advised fund is now taking up 15% of all individual giving in the United States. Private foundation giving is now taking up another 15% of all charitable giving from individuals, which means that charities, and these are both increasing, these are increasing as the years go by, which means that as mega donors, very wealthy donors are becoming uh, a larger and larger force in philanthropy, it means that more and more money is diverted away from working charities. They're getting smaller and smaller slices of the charitable pie. The other thing that happens is that it means that they're more vulnerable to the whims of a smaller number of donors. So if one donor changes their mind and doesn't give to you one year, that could be a huge part of your revenue base lost. So all your eggs are kind of in one basket. Mm -hmm. And it, your, your fundraising is a lot more stable if you can rely on a diverse, broad-based population of people. Mm -hmm. uh, the, there's, oh, sorry. Well, I was going to ask a few minutes ago, uh, United Way was mentioned. Now, are they uh, growing in general, though? I assume not as much as these private foundations or the private, uh, uh, private, I want to, I'm reluctant to call them charities, but anyway, the private organizations. <laughs> but, uh, you know, United Way was surpassed, but are they still growing or are they just kind of even these years or what's their situation? Do you know? I, I don't know as much about the United Way specifically. They're, they're still getting more and more money each mm -hmm. year. Um, in general, the sector as a whole is growing. Mm -hmm. So the whole, the whole sector is still growing, but it's not keeping up with inflation. Mm -hmm. So it, the numbers are growing every year. You do see uh, working charities getting technically more dollars, mm -hmm. but as of last year, it is not keeping up with inflation. So it's not um, as robust as it might seem. Yeah. In a way that the giving by the ultra wealthy kind of mask this trend, mm -hmm. the troubling trend of low and middle income people giving less. And we believe that's because people are economically insecure. You know, savings rate is down. Yes, right. Yeah. People are squeezed. Mm -hmm. They're just not able to give as much as they'd like. And we, we're not really talking about that and the dangerous implications of that because the overall pie is growing thanks to the mega donors. Mm -hmm. um, but that, as Helen has said, and, and all of you said, it just poses a peril that our nonprofit sector is so dependent on the ultra-rich and their whims and, and desires. Uh, you know, and, and the ultra-rich are not going to fund certain things. They're not going to fund organizing and advocacy for a fair tax system. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they are not funding organizing to expand worker rights. They have their things that are not not in their interest, and so they don't they don't contribute to those kind of things. So mm -hmm. that's how it's skewing uh, what gets funded. Yeah, it's an unfortunate corollary to the growth of the bigger and bigger funds is how the ordinary citizens are giving less and less. Yeah. And I I believe looking at the charts that was true before the whole COVID thing hit. 
So, oh, definitely. So it, you know, it's been going on for 20 years and more, including uh, before the Great Recession of 2000, well, 9, 10, you know, through there. It began in late 2008. So Exactly. It's, been- it's, it's even happened ever since Katrina. Basically, Katrina was the last time that donors increased Hurricane Katrina. Mm. After that, donors have not increased. They've only gone down. So that was a long time ago. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, Let me mention that uh, if any listeners would like to get in in, um, on the uh, program here and ask a question or make a comment, the number here is 895-2448. That's inner code 707, of course, 895-2448. And, of course, uh, these mega donors, they influence we were saying public policy but politics directly it's uh there's some really outrageous players involved you uh, give an example is willis johnson and what did he do with his charitable donation he's quite a story he willis johnson is a billionaire who made his money from copper which is a online vehicle auction house he um last year or the year before he donated money from his foundation to the state of South Dakota to pay for them to send their National Guard to guard the border with Mexico. So it's arguably one of the, possibly the only time I know of that someone has used charity to turn our troops, our public troops, into a private mercenary force, basically, to guard the border for his um, political views. We can't, there are others that are sorry, sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean it. But okay. No, go ahead. There are others that are a lot more um, insidious uh, than that, possibly. Dick Uline, for example, who is the, the founder of Uline, which is the warehouse furniture uh, superstore. Um, he has used his foundation to fund groups that are pushing the myth of the big steal, the the myth that the election in 2020 was fraudulent. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's funded at least one group that's classified as an anti-Muslim hate group mm. all through his foundation, all through charitable giving. So, yes, these are this is definitely happening. That's amazing. And we had, uh, yeah, we're, I, I can't see everybody out there that's uh, listening on the radio, but on our Zoom, we're all throwing our hands in the air here. Um, our, our favorite story of all, though, is this one that just came out, and I guess it was uncovered just by luck, or well, not by luck, by some people that were paying great attention, which you wouldn't necessarily read every paper that came out, but uh, it's a attack philanthropy. Uh, the biggest, biggest charitable donation of all time just came down. Uh, do you want to talk about Barry Said? Or Side, Barry Side? I don't know how you pronounce that. And, and the sure. Leonard, Leonard Leo Loophole. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. So what happened was um, billionaire Barry Side um, just gave $1.6 billion to a charity called the Marble Freedom Trust which is, um, not to get super wonky, but it is not a public service charity. It's a political charity, which means he doesn't get a tax, an income tax deduction for his gift, but it is able, that charity is able to do political work 
so it's able to do lobbying and pay for campaign ads and work for candidates, that kind of thing. Um, and that charity is run by Leonard Leo, who is a member of the, I think the head, former head of the Federalist Society. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and they are, he is pretty much the architect of the move to reshape the Supreme Court in the conservative image. So he's behind a lot of the Supreme Court moves over the last decade or so. Um, and Barry Side gave all of his stock in his company to the Marble Freedom Trust. So it was worth $1.6 billion. He gave all his stock to the nonprofit. And then the company was sold to another company and Marble Freedom Trust got the proceeds from that sale. So they got the $1.6 billion for that sale. Now, because it's a political charity, like I said, Barry Side didn't get an income tax deduction for it, but he was able to avoid paying capital gains taxes on the sale of that stock. So mm -hmm. normally if he had sold it himself, he would have had to pay about $400 million in capital gains on that stock. But instead, he gave it to the charity. They don't have to pay it. Mm -hmm. So it's a, a huge way of extending his reach politically. I, I have a quick story to say about, about this particular situation. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's about personal ethics or maybe personal guilt but the uh I, I didn't know until i just i read about this guy barry seed and his uh his um, about his business and the name of the business and i thought wait a minute i recognize that name <laughs> well i've i've been touting his product for 15 or more years and the reason why i want to say because you know back in those days when i was first buying my own computers you know and buying electronic stuff and um the, that particular product, APC, uh, it's the only one, product of its kind, a, um, what do you call them, power strips and um, surge protectors, that kind of stuff, that were made somewhere other than China. They're made in the Philippines. <laughs> I told my friends, hey, get this brand. They're made in the Philippines, you know. And, and, and now I find out this guy, you know, he's, you know, I guess just he got rich, and now he's just after whatever, you know, rich people can do for their own benefit. But... Uh, so I was embarrassed. Now I have to look for a new brand. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's difficult to avoid yeah. uh, running afoul of a, a, comp a company CEO that's going to be doing this kind of thing. So you shouldn't feel too bad. <laughs> Well, one thing about Barry's side is uh, he actually calls what he does attack philanthropy. And mm -hmm. so it's interesting that uh, he's not trying to do what most of the other donors mega donors like to do which is to kind of dress it up a little bit and greenwash it here and lovely it up a little bit over there it's just attack philanthropy so once once again for anybody that wants to get in on the conversation that's 895-2448 and we're talking about the report that came out uh, in a couple of months ago uh, called uh, Gilded Giving. Gilded Giving. There it is there. Yes. How Wealth Inequality Distorts Philanthropy and Imperils Democracy. We're talking with Chuck Collins and Helen Flannery of the Institute for Policy Studies. And um, we have an opportunity to talk about uh, something very opposite that occurred and was on the news just yesterday. What can you tell us about Yvonne Chouinard and his company Patagonia? Something good happened. Um, yeah. Uh, they, uh, kind of in contrast, uh, 
Yvonne Chenard, whose family owns, it's a private company, Patagonia, the outdoor equipment company, mm -hmm. uh, made, made this. Oops, we lost the you. Company. We lost you there. He said made the, and then you dropped out. But you're back now, so just re restart that sentence for yeah. us. Uh, yeah. I can um, fill in also you if you want. Sure. So what happens with, yeah, as Chuck was saying, the founder of Patagonia, Yvonne Schwinard, just gave all $3 billion of his company away, basically. And 98% of it, his company stock went to a nonprofit, which will hold the stock and it will earn all the profits from the company and then it'll put any excess profits towards fighting climate change. Mm -hmm. so, so this was actually a, a real a real good thing that happened as opposed to the other little um, plots that, that we have been talking about. We also have a call. Right? Yes, so my, my hat off, my beanie off to Yvonne Chouinard. Um, and uh, yes, that was almost, yes, yeah, close to $3 billion alone by a collective that will use the process, uh, all the profits to reinvest in the business to fight climate change. Well, let's take this call here. Yeah, we got to say one thing nice tonight. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. What uh, is your first name and from where are you calling? Yeah, my first name is Gregory. And um, we were talking about, uh, uh, I, I run off and, 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 uh, into my own memory of, of how to manage um, the budget and inflation. Um, and I remember during the war, uh, during the uh, Second World War, uh, under Roosevelt, um, we had um, a uh, price control, and there was the Office of Price Control, um, and the, uh, there were constantly um, people out trying to get justice department and uh, some department uh, was trying to um, take care of all the black market people, but uh, they uh, they managed, and there was also rationing, uh, uh, and um, we the the government gave us mills that's one tenth of a cent to spend. Um, and it was it was a it was all all it was was essentially we have to support the war effort we have to have uh, food for our troops uh, we we can't um, be uh, no I think strikes were banned um, but um, I I think uh, in the um, in a, in a government that's not constantly under attack, or a government that's not constantly equally uh, separately divided and uh, almost as his own nation or own country, um, there, there is the possibility to do ever so much more in terms. And I think, given his hands are tied in, in a great deal, I think Biden's doing a very doing a very good job of of trying to manage the, the inflation. Part of it may be his own desires. I don't know if he wants to run again. I can't imagine well, him wanting to, to run, but maybe he does. But, well, let's see what our uh, guests have to say then about, about what Biden can do about some of, these, some of these suggestions that they're making. Thanks for your call. Bye-bye.
Yeah, this is a great opportunity to probably to talk about solutions. Sure. Because yeah. one of the things, yeah, when we wrote Gilded Giving, we wanted to not only talk about top-heavy philanthropy and what we saw happening to the sector, but also the things that we could do about it that would go towards helping um, the situation be better. Um, because there's a whole huge list of things that we could do to make the situation better. Um and actually, Biden ha put one of them in his budget proposal. He uh, has a section in his 2023 budget proposal that would say that you can't, if you're a, a private foundation, you can't count grants to donor-advised funds and as part of your payout. So he's actually okay. proposing that in his proposal. That's a nice, tiny little baby step in the right direction. <laughs> we'll but we it. would like to see a lot more. Yeah, so... You know, first and foremost, we we need to increase the flow of money from these warehousing vehicles out to working charities. So we need to, there has to be some kind of payout requirement on donor advice funds. That's a huge one. So we would say, for example, any amount that you put into a donor advice fund has to be paid out along with any income earned on it in three, four, five years from when you put it into the fund. Just some kind of requirement, meaning that that money has to get back out to charity. And, and along similar lines, we would say raise the payout requirement for private foundations. You could double it from 5% to 10%, and that would mean a lot more gifts going out to charity. So there are definitely things that we could do mm -hmm. that would help the situation well needless to say uh the possibility of any of these things moving forward will depend upon uh, an event coming up on november 8th is it i believe so <laughs> a few months yes. we'll, we'll know what's really possible of these suggestions exactly. proposals in the 2023 budget is exactly. there also is, a, is there a legal way to say that corporations are not answerable solely to their stockholders and and they can actually uh, refuse to do it could be fiduciarily responsible to refuse to do something injurious that would be fantastic i don't know <laughs> i think that would be great <laughs> if that could happen one, one thing i would just underscore is these proposals for reform are really popular. We we did some polling in, in July. You know, 82% uh, of the population believe, you know, if you get a tax break, you need to give the money in two years, in five years. Some but reasonable you know, time, yeah. Create a foundation that's going to exist for generations. You know, you took your tax break, move the money. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a, there's a common sense uh, support for the kind of, reforms that Helen is talking about. Yeah, I think another thing that you're saying is not only should we rectify a situation that's unfair, since it's our taxpayer money, we have the responsibility to fix it. So that is exactly right. As Chuck was saying before, we have a vested interest in this working correctly. So we, we subsidize these tax deductions. And in return, we need to have that money going towards stuff that is going to benefit us, the public. And then there's the tax system itself. I guess you have some ideas about that. Absolutely. 
uh, I mean, in general, what we'd like to see is we'd like to see it basically restored to its earlier progressiveness. I mean, make sure that those who are at the top of the wealth ladder are paying their fair share and that they can't use tax avoidance schemes of which charitable giving can unfortunately be a part to get out of paying that fair share. So um, the key that that is the key, I think, to make sure that those who have the most pay into the system in the proper proportion and that they can't use tricks to get out of. And, and how would you uh, enforce that? You have some kind of a, an oversight mechanism in your in your ponderings here well that's one thing is that we would love uh, the irs right now is responsible for all of this enforcement so it's responsible for any shenanigans that happen on the charitable end but the charitable wing of the irs is really underfunded and the irs itself is woefully underfunded and constantly being beaten down Mm -hmm. by critics and and people who want to cut, undercut it. So we would say you could have a charity oversight board that was a body that was solely responsible for managing what is going on with philanthropy. Mm-hmm. And it would be responsible for trying to enforce that none of these things happen, that people can't get away with um, things that go against the spirit and the law of our charitable system. Mm-hmm. And you also have some ideas about how that uh, would be funded, that oversight entity. Well, you could easily, you could, for one thing, you could levy a wealth tax there to you know. <laughs> um, break up the concentration of massive amounts of wealth at the top of the income ladder, and that would provide a great deal of revenue, which could be used to fund a number of things, including this. There, there currently is an excise tax on foundations and on charitable giving institutions. That money just goes into the general pool, but that there's a substantial amount of money there that could fund the oversight functions that Helen is talking about. Wouldn't have to raise tax dollars. It's already, you know, a foundation is paying a 1% excise tax. And when they fail to pay out their fair share, they, they sometimes have to pay a higher tax or a penalty. So there's plenty of money coming in that could fund fund the oversight. Uh, wouldn't need to be any kind of new tax to do that. And then uh, I, I think you've done some calculations about how how reforms would uh, help money-wise the whole country, and and it's like billions and billions and billions of dollars that you're projecting, right? Yes, I don't have the numbers at the at the. Uh, tip of my fingers but yes it would generate an incredible amount of money just to even if you just raise the payout of private foundations from five percent to ten percent it it would raise a tremendous amount of money all right this is sounding good to me here (laughs) well the number mentioned in uh, online is that a few tens of billions uh, of dollars uh, over the first three years i think it is i think i have 26 billion in three years to go to charities does that sound sound right yes well i'll tell you the uh the 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 country needs it there's you know we we deal with so many, you know, homeless problems and just, you know, societal problems that aren't getting the kind of funding to, to solve those that we did in years past. 
Um, and, you know. and that's the the other thing about all of this is we have so many problems we need to address. You know, we have all these climate change, lingering pandemic, housing, jobs, education, you name it. And a lot of these problems, we can't wait decades to address them. And right now, a huge portion of our public dollars are being used to subsidize what a tiny group of mega donors wants to do. And they're being stashed in warehousing vehicles where it's just coming out in little trickle. Mm -hmm. And we need to reform this to make sure that the money gets out to charities where it belongs to address some of these things that need to be solved Mm -hmm. now. Yeah. Well, we talk about the climate issue sometimes here on the program, and it's getting getting plenty of attention on the air here. Uh, once again, to anyone who'd like to get in a call uh, before I wind up the show, it's 895-2448. is the number here in area code 707, 895-2448. And we only have about six minutes left, so maybe we should spend a little time on uh, how people can access the study and, and the other resources that you have. I know... Uh, Chuck, you have this wonderful group, inequality.org, that has all kinds of information on a weekly basis, that, you know, a nice reality check that you send out. How do people get on your, your uh, email list to get that? Well, it's pretty simple. Uh, you can go to inequality.org. You'll see a little uh, sign-up box for a newsletter. comes every Monday. comes from me and, and Rebecca Entrelago, the other co-editor. And uh, yeah, we try to we try not to just be bad news. We try to have a sense of humor and show you know what people are doing out in the field that that's inspiring. Um, and there's a whole section of inequality.org, the website that's devoted to this charity f- reform work that that Helen has really been a kind of a lead researcher on. And you'll see a bunch of our studies and resources there. Um, and if I might just you know add another point, which is you know, we, we have all these enormous problems. We have a vibrant, independent nonprofit sector. Uh, some of those organizations are struggling. And we also, you know, charity is never going to be a substitute for a good tax system where the wealthy pay their fair share and we can invest in public investments. So we're not going to solve the housing problem with charity dollars. It's ultimately going to be our tax dollars, uh, you know, investing in affordable housing and, and the like. But the nonprofit independent sector is a great partner and can also kind of be a laboratory for experimenting and getting things done. So we want a vibrant nonprofit sector, broadly supported, as Helen said at the beginning, broadly supported by lots of people, not just a few mega donors. Uh, that's, that's what a healthy system with both fair taxes and a vibrant nonprofit sector we would be a much healthier society overall. And then the, the study itself, uh, where do we find this amazing document? That is also available on inequality.org. And we also have a facts page, which pulls out a lot of the charts, the, the charts and the graphs, so that if you want a sort of a snapshot of the picture of what's going on in philanthropy, the facts page is also you can link to from inequality.org. In a way, the easiest thing to do is just Google gilded giving. Yes. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, you'll find the report both at inequality.org and at the Institute for Policy Studies website. That reminds me to mention, so this is a follow-up to a report in 2016, is that right? You did the first one? Yeah, it's a biennial report, so we do it every two years, and oh. every two years we do it, we try to add new stats and and extend our trends and talk about topical um, issues that are going on at the time. Okay. And all the, the lists of recommendations that, that you've made, they're all laid out nicely in a, a format where people can access it and see um, uh, all of them. There's the donor advice funds and the private foundations and uh, reforms to encourage broad giving, reforms to reverse top-heavy philanthropy. Uh, it's very accessible and and then hopefully people will be able to get this and then do something with it. I was encouraged that you said one of these things is actually in Biden's, Biden is now suggesting putting this forward. It's encouraging to see that there's some action in this direction. So maybe maybe there's some momentum we can jump on here. If he can get one piece of this uh, uh, into the 2023 budget and think what he can do for the 2024 budget. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah, indeed. Yes. So, super. Okay. I was also going to put in a plug for the Institute for Policy Studies. A lot of the information is also on that site. It's ips-dc.org. IPS for Institute for Policy Studies and dash DC for District of Columbia dot ORG. And then you can uh, go in there and you know, mouse over the our work. And then there's a, a, a section for called reports. And the, and the report is right in there also. And also you can uh, look at what work is being done there for in the economic justice section, a particular issue. Uh, um, I think it's called, that's the issue areas part of that website. So either inequality.org or ips-dc.org. And we don't have much time left. Maybe we could go out on a, with one minute left. Uh, uh, the poster boy of some of this uh, is uh, Carl Icahn. Do you want to say what he does with his in one minute? Oh, man. Let's see if I can tell it in one minute. So, yes, he took a $100 million loan out from his foundation he used it to invest in a company, which he then sold for $150 million. So he made it $50 million <laughs> on the deal. And then he didn't pay the loan back for 15 years, even though he was supposed to pay it back, I think, in nine. So he really is taking the loans from private foundation to an ultimate extreme. It's a, <laughs> and without interest, he's I the bet. poster boy. Yeah. <laughs> we got to fix this stuff. Experience. So. <laughs> Well, okay. Thank you to our guests, Helen Flannery and Chuck Collins of the Institute for Policy Studies. And the uh, report, again, was Gilded Giving, How Wealth Inequality Distorts Philanthropy and Imperils Democracy. Thanks for being our guest today and taking that one call and appreciate your time. We'll talk to you in two years. Thanks to you. Thank you very much. Okay. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.